Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings, it's Hugh Ballou. Welcome to this episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you don't know when we made it, but we made it. It's, it's, uh, I don't know, we hope it's our, toward the end of our confinement under the COVID-19. We're in June 2020. But the message we have is especially today about how do we how do we reformulate our ideas, our presence, connect with people coming out of this crisis. But it's a universal message of how do we connect with people. And my guest today is Doug Scott. He's uh, got a lot of really good stuff to share. And Doug, what's been good over the years is even if we had people with the same topic, they have different things to share. And we have not had somebody like you talking about video, especially video that's relevant to nonprofits promoting themselves. But before we get on with this, let's let's, uh, let people know who you are and why do you do this? What is your passion for what you do? Well, Hugh, thank you so much for uh, letting me be part of this. So my story, um, I am a film school dropout. I loved movies growing up when I was a kid and um, thought, you know, Hollywood, that sounds great. That's the way I love to spend my life telling stories on the big screen. So I went out to film school and after one semester was very clear to me that even though I love telling stories and making videos, the movie business was really not for me. So I came back to Chicago, defeated, uh, trying to figure out what to do next. That's where I'm from, Chicago. And uh, then came a series of odd jobs, working night shift at a grocery store, stocking shelves, or customer service um, for house house cleaning products. Uh, going to school part time, and I, I still loved the arts. I still loved writing. I still was, you know, made small uh, videos myself. And I fell into event production. This is the kind of stuff where you have a big conference and you bring in a stage and the lights and the video screens and um, you know, worked my way up to the point where I was running those productions week in, week out for conferences or large gatherings, sometimes for a few hundred people or a few thousand people. So I love doing that work. Um, and I love the pressure of putting together a show and um, uh, you know, combining all these different elements together. It was just awesome. But after six years of doing that, just got really burned out. It's a high stress, a lot of travel, um, a lot of hours. And um, I entered the phase, which I call my quarter life crisis, where I really began to wonder uh, what was the point of all this? And um, also questioning how much of who I am or the way I thought about myself and my life was based upon the family I was born into and the color of my skin and where I was born and all that kind of deep philosophical uh, musings that you have uh, late at night. So I thought I need to do a change and I thought I'd always wanted to travel but had never really traveled before. So um, when I do something I tend to go big. So I put a date on the calendar of this is when I'm going to go and uh, leading up to that date I sold everything that I had gave whatever I couldn't sell away to Salvation Army, ended up with a backpack and a few changes of clothes um, and a passport and bought a one-way ticket to Ireland and thought I'd figure it out as I was on my way. 
And uh, one year, five continents and 33 countries later, I came back to the U.S. completely transformed with a whole new vision for my life. And it's the work that I'm now doing. Um, and, you know, all it, it wasn't the thing that changed me wasn't all the once in a lifetime experiences that you have on a trip like that. Like I did do those too, like hang gliding in the Alps and trekking the Great Wall of China or going on safari in Africa. Amazing, amazing stuff. But the things that really transformed me were the things that happened along the way. I was traveling as cheaply as I possibly could, sleeping on people's couches and taking local buses and trains and boats and whatever form of cheap transportation I could find. And uh, inevitably, you just run into people, start talking to people. And surprisingly, a number of them that I met and started talking with worked at nonprofit organizations in whatever country it was that I was traveling in at the time. And uh, they, after talking a little while, say, oh, why don't you come and check out what I'm doing? And I'm not sure if they realized, but that was actually a very dangerous thing to do because I had nowhere else to go. So I almost always said, sure, I'll go. I went and saw what they were doing and my mind was blown. Um, working you know, with organizations feeding AIDS orphans in Zambia, a uh, meditation center um, for refugees in China, um, an arts collective in New Zealand. Like my mind was just completely blown by all these organizations that I experienced along the way. And uh, I, my mind was also blown by just how bad their websites were and how poorly they communicated about their work. And it really, it felt like a, not a capital I injustice, like a lowercase I injustice, that these people were doing such incredible work on the ground, but they couldn't get what they needed to do more of that work because they couldn't communicate um, what they were doing effectively. So I thought, that's it. That's why I'm on this trip. That's my mission in life. That's what I want to do when I come back to the States. So I came back to the U.S., finished up my degree in communications, started working for nonprofit organizations, first as a video producer and then as a chief marketing officer, and then started uh, my company, which is now uh, the company I'm leading today, Tectonic Video. And we work exclusively with nonprofit organizations. Um, we're a video agency that uh, you know, we start out with a strategy, whether that's organization-wide strategy for your video or can be campaign-specific for your video strategy. And then we implement that strategy from concept all the way through filming and editing and post-production. Um, and we're humbled to work with incredible organizations like the American Lung Association doing uh, PSAs for them or fundraising videos for World Relief um, or educational videos for groups out of MIT and Stanford and Harvard. So I have the best job in the world. I get to hang out with the most amazing people, telling stories of all the good that's happening in the world. Um, and I get to tell stories still. So happy ending. That's, that's my background story of how I got to where I am today. Well, I briefly looked at your your website and um let me see where I, I think I, I, I but it's got it's really well done i mean you're you talking you. about really bad i see a lot of really bad websites and where do i go what do i do now so it's got a really clean look and guess what it's got a lot of video on it um so uh is that a place people can go to uh to see some video Absolutely. Yeah, you can learn about our work, learn about some of the strategy stuff that we do as well. It's tectonic.video, T-E-C-T-O-N-I-C, like the tectonic plates, but tectonic.video, and you can find out all about our work. Yes, I put it in the, uh, okay, we'll go in the chat. It's in the, um, it's on the web page for this interview. Um, the page uh, you can find by going to 
the, T-H-E, the nonprofitexchange.org <clears throat> and take you to a landing page and click on um, today's episode or click on the um, past videos. You'll have the archives from six years worth of really good stuff. Um, and take a look at the videos because it's, it's really, really good to see some of this that's done well with a really clear message and clear branding. So um, I just, this is my second week as being past president of Lynchburg Symphony Orchestra Board. <laughs> and so in, in my tenure, I, yeah, they, they, uh, before I came on, they, they, they uh, had a really nice logo developed and they said, we got a brand. And I said, really? So I went and recruited a brander for the board and he did a little video about branding and music and how we're going to connect with different audiences and people go, Oh, so, but in that conversation, you know, we talked about everybody in the organization represents the brand, but the way your website looks and the videos are a representation of your brand. So we just don't go randomly telling a story and tell another story, telling another story. So there's a design for a particular video, but how does that fit into the overall messaging website and the video and, and the total messaging and total identity that a nonprofit needs to have today? It's a great question. I mean, you're hitting on a, a key point that I really uh, believe, and I think that um, maybe in your example there about uh, uh, confusing a logo with a brand, it just speaks to the fact that nonprofits, people who run nonprofit organizations and start nonprofits uh, are doing it for the absolute right reasons that they have a passion to help people or they have a passion to excel in whatever artistic medium that they're a part of. And they are not expert communicators or they don't have the background in developing a communication strategy or video strategy for their organization. And in my experience, they really underappreciate the importance of video I mean, Hugh, you get this with the great work that you've done over the years. And then also I sense this real big pivot that you're making toward video as well. I think it's brilliant. Um, and, uh, you know, the future of brand communications for nonprofits, but for organizations in general is going to be video heavy, much more so than it is today. Uh, even for the big brands, there are many brands now who are moving toward what they call video first communications, which is a long ways away from what nonprofits would be able to do, most nonprofits. But certainly video is growing in importance for every nonprofit organization. And uh, our good friend, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, um, he no said, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> He said uh, that video will look like as big of a shift in the way that we all share and communicate as mobile has been. So you think about the shift from landline phones and old computers to how mobile has completely transformed everything. Like he believes video will have the exact same kind of effects about how we all communicate. In other instances, he said that he predicts that the overwhelming majority of all content on Facebook will be video within the next few years. So nonprofits need to appreciate that and to begin to ramp up to think about their communications uh, in that way. So um, you, your degree is in communications. Um, how did that prepare you? You know, my, my degree, I'm, I'm doing leadership and organizational development. My degree is, is in choral conducting, <laughs> but I know how to build, build harmonious groups that work together. Um, so how does that prepare you? I mean, video isn't just bringing out a camera and shooting some footage. 
So the overarching theme is communications, right? You're right. And how I'd say that Mike DeGreek prepared me for the work I'm doing now is that it gave me the absolute perfect foundation upon which to build a strategy around video or to build a compelling um, single video that meets whatever organizational needs you may have. Um, so you need that foundation if you're going to be the person that's part of the process that's defining what the message is going to be what types of videos you're going to use, how do those videos work together to meet your organizational goals. Like having a communications background is vital more so than having the skills to make the video itself, because that's a whole other skill set. And I've learned that skill set to the point where I say that I'm a jack of all trades and master of none, as far as like all the elements of making video. And that's why I hire like incredible filmmakers who are experts at filming or experts in editing, um, motion graphics, etc. Uh, but yeah, the, the fundamentals of putting together a strategy for video are the fundamentals of putting together a marketing strategy. So uh, core to any marketing uh, or communication strategy is appreciating that you are making stuff for other people than yourself. That is something that people have a very hard time getting their heads around um, because uh, you just assume that you have the best taste in the world. And if you like it, then everybody else should too, or they can uh, take a hike, which is just not the right way to approach it. Communications, any communications theory starts with audience. And that's how we approach it with video as well. We have a video strategy process that we run with some of those organizations I mentioned, as well as other organizations to really help them think through how to best invest in their video communications. Cause we get it. I mean, video costs money. It is one of the most highest stakes communications methods or mediums out there because it costs real money or at least it costs real time to make video content. Um, and, uh, you know, the stakes then are that with that investment of whatever resources and time go into making the video, it has the potential to be incredibly powerful for your organization. I mean, video, when it's done right, it, it you know, becomes scalable, on-brand, uh, you know, easily shareable content that, you know, there's some really great statistics online about how video outperforms almost every other kind of communications medium uh, because it's just so engaging. Um, and, you know, when you create video in the right way, it can really have an, an impact. Like one stat that I love, if you can imagine, you know, there are lots of old time, especially in, when we talk nonprofits and you talk communications, you're often talking about development. And we work a ton with chief development officers and fundraisers. Um, but, you know, many of them, rightly so, understand the fact that if you just abandon all of the old school methods of direct mail, of conversations, of handwritten letters, all that kind of handholding and personal um, connection with people, like you are going to have a very horrible time raising money. Like that is still the ball game is to have those kinds of personal interactions, to have something that really sets you apart especially for major givers, like you need to have that ground game there. But video can go a long way toward augmenting that game and then also providing a platform for other than your major givers, for those smaller givers that you don't necessarily need to connect with on a person by person basis. They're not going to be the biggest donor most likely to your organization either, but video can do a long, it can do a great ways toward actually allowing them to, uh, engage with organization in the way that you want them to understand who you are, connect with who you are, and then hopefully take action on what you need them to do. So it, expense is relative. Um, in, in, in business, um, we learned that the average business letter 
probably costs $25 to $35. You have the executive's time to, to figure out what they want to say. You've got the administrator slash secretary's time to produce the letter. You print it and, you, and you, somebody's got to mail it. By the time you factor that expensive time in, you've probably spent more than that. So if you're sending out 30 or 40 or 100 letters, maybe one video isn't that costly after all. It's a great perspective. Our, um, our sponsor for, for this today is Word Sprint. Word Sprint mails, prints and mails our magazine. And their medium is print and it's mailing. It's a mail house. So it's a touch point directly to people and it's, it's the right message to the right person in a regular rhythm. Um, so it's 30, 30, 30, and then there's the 10% of it's got to look good, but it doesn't need to look expensive. So let's talk about, we're, we're making a, a video presentation. Um, where do you start? Now, when, when I begin to work with nonprofits, I find that many of them don't even have a strategic plan. There's no roadmap. They got, this is what we're doing for people. And we don't even have, what's the end game? You know, we haven't really defined our long-term objectives. We're just working as hard doing the day-to-day -day. And, and what Simon Sinek calls the infinite game in his latest book. You know, the infinite game is where we're headed, but we, we have to define a roadmap, but we have to define where we're headed. But I think that's a prerequisite for then, how do you create a marketing strategy around that? So the, the sequence to me would be to, um, you know, understand where you're going, understand what your unique value proposition is, understand what problems you solve and, you know, what other problems, how do we solve them? So I think that unless you have a different opinion, that's, that's the, the framework for the business we're running. It might be a nonprofit, but it's a business. Then that gives you some idea of how you can create a video strategy. Now that's more than one video, correct? Correct. Yes, it is different. And it's different kinds of video too. Say, say more about that. So our strategy, I mean, first of all, Hugh, you're absolutely correct. Um, video, uh, having a strategy or really putting a lot of energy and thought into video should not be the first thing that you do <laughs> when you're putting together your communications plan. Like you, this is built on top of a communications plan. We actually advocate that um, the most sophisticated organizations have a separate video strategy outside of the marketing and communications plan because video can actually transcend multiple sections or multiple departments within your organization, whether it be fundraising and marketing, can be um, your HR department if you're a larger organization, train, uh, transform that weekly all staff email into a quick video update from your CEO or multiple staff, um, you know, spouting off about whatever there's going on in their department that week. Um, it can also be great for hiring, great for training volunteers, onboarding them, um, lots of different uses for video in a nonprofit. But uh, if you're integrating video into your marketing strategy, uh, we think there should be many different types of videos. So the very first thing that we do when we're working with a, a new client on a video strategy is help them understand our framework for how we approach and categorize different types of videos. So there's the video that you will often think of, which is like, oh, we need a video. <laughs> and that is the video that is your organizational overview video. It's like a case, your case study presented as video for a nonprofit organization. So we call that a core video asset, a core brand asset for video. 
And that's a category of videos. It can be like an organizational overview slash case for support video. It could be um, a video that talks about the history of your organization, like an origin story. It could be an explainer video, like if you have a process for how you are you know, interacting with people who are coming out of homelessness or an education organization could be an explainer. Uh, these are these are the kinds of videos that, frankly, my company and I work a lot on because we believe these core video assets are the ones that you put your energy and you put your dollars into. Because uh, if you were to use the analogy of food, which we can all relate to, these are the uh, proteins and the vegetables of your communications uh, meal. Uh, these are the ones here that really you know, will take some time to chew. They can be five, six, seven, eight minutes long. Like these are people who have already said, I want to learn more about your organization. Tell me more. They've already risen or raised their hand in some way and, and want more information about what you're doing. So they're willing to sit through a longer video and you can really go into like exactly, you know, what the problem is, uh, what people have tried to do in the past, why it didn't work, what you're doing, why it's going to work, what you need in order to make it work. The main points to a case for support uh, or some other in-depth way of approaching these kind of core video assets. But there's a separate category of assets uh, that are videos called social media videos. Like those are mostly going to be your marketing and sometimes fundraising videos, but these are different. These guys need to play by their own rules. Um, we did a, a large study of uh, nonprofit organizations' use of video on social media. We took an entire year's worth of data from uh, 778 nonprofit organizations looking at how they use video on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And it's a huge landscape of everyone from human um, human services organizations to environment, to education, to uh, all different kinds of other organizations as well. And this is available on our website as well. Um, but we looked at what really is effective. So the rules to make an effective social media video for nonprofits are it's gotta be short. Like when we analyze the most effective ones, these were almost all under a minute. Like that's short. But when you think about your own viewing habits on social, yeah. you're scrolling, you're scrolling. Okay, I watch it for 30 seconds. Great. Also, you need to make sure that it plays uh, and you can understand it without any audio because people often will not even turn on audio anymore when they're scrolling through a video. They're just going to look at the subtitles or whatever text is on the screen. Um, another thing that we found that was really important is that there are five different types of content that outperform all the other ones. Um, the number one most effective form of content, and this would be a no surprise to anybody that's on social media, are babies and animals. We call them cute, cute babies and animals, like dominate all responsiveness on the social media video. No surprise there. They're the most engaging type of video content that you can create. So if anybody can put a baby or an animal in their video for their nonprofit, gold, do it. Do as much as you can. Um, but another type that's really compelling are emotional stories from your beneficiaries whose lives have been transformed. Again, short, but these are also some of the most engaging videos that we looked at. Another one is emotional reactions captured in real time. Everyone loves seeing that video where someone finds out that the cancer is gone or um, you know, they just graduated from an adult learning program or uh, this animal just got rescued. You know, we see these really emotional reactions of people. Those are gold as well. So there are five types that we identified that are really compelling types of content. Um, anyways, like social media is its own thing. It has its own universe. It has its own rules. And again, back to that food analogy, we think that 
social media videos are like the carbohydrates for your meal. They're like the snack you'd have ahead of time or the appetizer. That can be like a dessert as well, but small bite size, reach for them frequently. You can love to snack on them, um, but they're that part of your uh, meal. And then the last group to complete the food analogy uh, are uh, campaigns and events. Um, like your campaign and event videos are more your fundraising videos. Um, and these are the ones that really, uh, you know, you will go to throughout the year that can be really helpful in spurring giving. Maybe it's a peer-to-peer -peer campaign. Uh, maybe it's a year-end uh, giving event. Uh, these types of videos here are the ones that you will really look to. And this can be a mix. They can be lower production quality. I should mention the social media videos were almost all low production quality. So we don't really work that much ourselves on social media videos because what we've seen in the data is that it's not as effective to put a lot of energy and money into production for social media videos. Campaign videos can be a mix. This can be some lower budget, just use a cell phone, um, could be quite you know quick personal updates from people, or it could be more of a produced kind of campaign video. So lots of different types of videos there. By appreciating the different types and the different needs of each one, you begin to see that, oh yeah, we'll put some money into our core brand video assets. They should be updated every two to three years, probably. Social media videos, let's not put hardly any money into it all. It takes some time, but it will be us, our own team, our volunteers taking quick videos. I still have some production level, but it's user generated. It's low, um, you know, low investment on our part. And then campaign videos can be a mix. Some that are more glossy that maybe uh, you put some money into and other ones that could be user generated as well. So in, in um, that's fascinating. Um, I'm sure there's different character for different social media platforms because you got different types of audiences. Um, but is there an equivalent, I, I'm a speaker and there's a thing in the speaking industry is a speaker role, a video role. Um, that you're, you know, it's flashy, you're doing stuff and it's like short and high impact. Is there an equivalent for a nonprofit? We call that a brand film or I guess sometimes we call it a sizzle reel as well too. Sizzle reel, yeah. Yep. Um, and we wouldn't say those are your most important types of videos to do, like the hierarchy of what to invest in and put your energy into, like having the case study video, the five to seven minute, like this is our organization, boom, 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 boom really for the um, engaged user, that's the most important. A brand video would come a little bit further down the way, but it would work on social because it's short. I mean, it'd be more highly produced than you would normally do. Um, we often, when we create approach a video project, we always think of how many different assets can we create from the same video shoot or the yeah. same like project. So if we were doing a case for support kind of video, the main organizational overview video, we would then usually also propose to create a one minute kind of brand film that is like you're talking about with the way to introduce you as a speaker, get people interested in what you're doing. It has a lot of um, adrenaline attached to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and we would just, you know, take a cut of what the main five to seven minute video would be and make it a shortened version uh, that you could use on social as well or for short uh, attention spans. Um, so that would be a good candidate for probably any social media platform because you're really introducing uh, with high impact the work of the, the nonprofit and it probably would focus on the impact of the work. This is our results. Absolutely. People are always asking, so what? 
<laughs> video is a great platform to give the so what, um, because uh, you know people respond to emotion. Again, one of the findings that we had from um, the social media called the Nonprofit Video Index, that survey that we did of 778 nonprofit organizations' use of video and social media, and um, emotion. There's a there is. There are two emotions that outperform all the other emotions on social media. And the two emotions that um, are most dominant is joy and outrage. And I think that won't be a surprise to anybody as well. I just had never heard that crystallized down into two words before, two emotions. But the ones that get shared the most, liked the most, commented on the most are ones that cause joy or ones that cause outrage. And so the emotion behind it is hugely important. Um, if you're wanting to have an engaging video. Is there um, an interim strategy um, if, if a nonprofit has a limited budget and they want to do something? Um, it, would, it occurred to me that the, the, uh, the sizzle reel or some story video or some basic video would be a way for them to raise more money to be able to do a whole video strategy. So is it all or nothing or is there, you know, how do you get your feet wet and do something? Is there, yeah, you, is there a way to do that? Absolutely. You can always get started with what you have and do the best of what you can. And so if you were to prioritize, if you're making a single video a year, if you don't, I still think if you don't have the main case for support type of video, that should still be your primary thing. You're going to show that to major givers or potential major givers. You're going to show it to foundations. You're going to show it to partners. Um, you can show it at your gala if you have a gala. Um, I mean, that is kind of the default operating um, procedure for many nonprofit organizations is make one video a year. It's shown at the gala, show yeah. it to major givers as well. That's yeah. fine. So I'd say that's a place to start. The second would be, I think, a compelling story video. Like if, if you're able to, um, you know, find someone who's been impacted by your program, that answers the so what question. That's what people want to hear. And they, they also engage their emotions, which is a huge driver for participation, fundraising, um, volunteerism. Would you like to entertain some questions from attendees? Of course, that'd be great. Um, so I'm going to allow some folks to talk. I have uh, Bob Hopkins, I have Jeffrey Fulgham, and I have Jeff Meyer. So... Think of it. Bob, your, your mic is open. Uh, Bob has a, has, he's, he's a communications guy and a nonprofit executive and a fundraiser. So uh, Bob, you want to weigh in with a question or a comment? Yeah, thank you, Hugh. I appreciate it. Uh, I, I like what you have to say. I know you're right. Um, I'm a nonprofit leader of many years and um, I can remember one little example of how I used the video, which was incredible. Because um, I was involved in a project in Nepal, building schools. And the head of it sent a letter to all of his donors and said, if anybody would like to name a classroom after your parent or that passed away or somebody you know, in memoriam to them, uh, it will cost you $20, I mean $200, $2,000 in order to put their name on a classroom. So I thought, oh, this is a great idea. So I called my brother and sister and said, would you guys like to do this in honor of our mother? And my brother said, send me a video. And I sent him one because I happened to have one. And within 10 minutes, he called back. He says, I'm in. I'm in. So you're right. It's a great fundraising uh, tool. And I wish I had more experience and was capable of doing more of it. 
but I have a website and I also have some videos on there. And I do do understand about the message. I think the way to go is videos. I, I agree and congratulations and thank you for doing all this. And when you're in Dallas, you definitely be sure and call me up and maybe Hugh has my book and you can see it and I'll give you a copy. Oh, he's displaying it proudly. Yeah. Philanthropy misunderstood. It was, that'll be a movie, full-length full length documentary. <laughs> we could raise money and do the documentary. So, Bob, thank you so much. Um, so, another person, Bob, I'm going to mute you. There's a little bit of background noise. I'm going to ask Jeffrey uh, to unmute, and um, you have to unmute yourself uh, and see. Um, Jeffrey's also a funding professional. Uh, do you have a question or a comment for, for Doug? Um, just a comment, and, and Doug, at great to have you on here and this is such cool stuff for people to listen to you know I used to think um, you know years ago that this was going to be the future of fundraising and and now the future has been here for a while and, and this is absolutely it um, I get some really cool stuff from different organizations that, that we support um, and I've I've been able to be involved in producing um, a number of these uh, with some great people um, that do work similar to what you do. And I gotta tell you, it's <laughs> the production side of it is a blast, but just getting this stuff out there and, and being in a room when people see these stories put up on a screen, that's as big as half the room, and they watch one of these stories like you mentioned, and they get to see how their dollars have impacted someone's life. Uh, there's just, short of having that person in the room there's no better way to do that and honestly sometimes it's better if they're not in the room and you can present it on the screen and it's just tremendous stuff i, I really appreciate you sharing it with a lot of people and i hope a lot of people get to see this and and we'll dig in even again on a scale that, that not necessarily is an expensive project just being able to get something out there that that's good enough to pull on the heartstrings and make a difference. Really cool. Well, thank you so much. I'll yeah, thank you, Jeffrey. So thanks for coming over and I'll, I'll mute you and let you go back into private citizen category again. <laughs> um, Sandy is uh, acquisitions editor for our magazine. And Sandy, do you have a comment or a question uh, for, for, for Doug? See if she can unmute. Maybe she's having trouble unmuting. I'll, I'll leave, leave it so you can come in later. So, um, Doug, there's a lot of important principles in, um, in 32 years of working with lots of different kinds of nonprofits uh, all over um, Europe and all over America. Not once has communications failed to come up as a primary challenge. And um, my particular learning on leadership communications and funding is those are anchored in relationship, mm -hmm. but there's there and they're also anchored in what is it we're communicating. So I'm um, talk a little bit about the discovery process you go through with somebody who wants to produce a video and in that process do people end up with a very different kind of video than they had originally thought they wanted. They often will and it's best when it's not even us deciding it, it's when their audience tells them what they really want to see. So we have a full video strategy process um, that is a standalone service. So we, we do all the video production ourselves, 
but we have a separate process that you could, you could hire us just to only do that. And um, when we go through that process, the beginning phase, we call it the baselining. We want to get a baseline. This is kind of standard marketing um, approach to how you put together your communication strategy. But that looks like for video is you start out by benchmarking. So whether or not you have, um, you would call them your competitors or not. Nonprofits don't like to use the word competitor necessarily, but your peer organizations, whatever your peer organizations are, we try and you identify them to us and then we go and we would learn as much as we can about what they're doing through their video. We have access to tools that can pull their social media videos and all the data behind that. We can look at their websites, identify what videos that they've created. And then we look at your own videos and understand where you're at as an organization and what your same uh, metrics are for your social media videos and videos that you've produced. So that's benchmarking. Then we go into and, and creating like a video um, audit of your own organizations. And then lastly, uh, we then go to your audience. This is what I wanted to talk about because uh, we are making things for people other than ourselves. I can't repeat that enough because it's so hard to get outside of our heads. As much as we know the people or think we know the people that were that are supporting our nonprofit um, and that we think would be great, uh, would, would love whatever it is that we put on the screen, that never hurts to ask. And very often we're surprised by what they end up saying they really want. So we have, um, we look at two groups of people. We look at your external, audiences and then your internal audiences. So um, external obviously would be your donors, people that are on your, just your friends on your Facebook um, accounts or other social media accounts, people on your email list, trying to get those folks. And we, so those folks we would then send a survey asking them some questions about their video preferences and what they like, uh, types of things they're interested in hearing about. We also then can be in a focus group with some people that you think would be really good for us to talk to. Uh, most likely a virtual focus group, especially these days, um, just doing it on Zoom and asking people some questions, getting them to weigh in about what they think about your video. And it is helpful to have a third party ask these questions because they're really, they have a hard time saying they don't necessarily like your videos with you in the room. So it's best if we can be the ones to ask those questions for you. Um, and then they might feel a little more free to share what they really think about um, the great work that you guys are doing, but how it's being communicated through video. Same thing for internal audiences. We get your chief marketing officer, your development person, your CEO, program staff, a board member to, to do the same things, survey and then a focus group. And we learn some really important stuff. We put a lot of stuff together and we come back with findings. Well, ideally, we start out by saying, uh, once we get the data back, this is what your external audiences said, and this is what your internal audiences said, and what they think about your organization and your video communications. Where are things not aligning? And we just bring that to the leadership of your organization and find out um, what it is that is not hitting, what questions that people have. Something that's really great to find out too is like what people would love to see talked about on video. Sometimes you think that, you know, this is what people want to see on video, but what they really want is something else. Um, it's also great to find out how long they're willing to watch a video for, or where they watch a video, or when they sit down to watch videos in a day, yeah. you know? And so all that stuff's great to find out. And the whole point of this is just to get outside of our own uh, conception of what we think our audiences are. Let our audiences speak, because from that, you know, we'll find out whether what you're doing is exactly spot on or whether it needs to change. And it's not, it's not us saying it or you saying it, it's who are people that we're making the videos for are telling us. Let's talk specifically about digging out of the hole we're in right now. Um, this COVID virus thing has put us in a very compromising position financially. 
So how can we use uh, video as a tool to come forward out of this space? I'm sure lots of nonprofits are already thinking about um, using video as a way to do a virtual fundraising event or a virtual gala. We've done one so far. We're in the process of doing two more right now. Um, and this is one of the first things that comes to mind because many nonprofits, their biggest fundraiser throughout the year is a live dinner gala event that they have once a year. And so they're freaking out right now trying to figure out how they're going to fill that gap. Um, so virtual events, Zoom is what we've used. So this platform has been really great. You could also do the same thing that you're doing, Hugh, and having it on Facebook. I love how you're mixing up all these different technologies together. That's great. Um, so there are lots of challenges to a virtual event. You have to rethink the way that you're doing it. You have to make sure that in our um, experience, that one of the most important things is changing the channel often. It's not really changing the channel, but continuing to change who's speaking, what the element is. It just keeps interest up if you don't have any one person talking at you for more than two to three minutes um, about the event. Uh, so, you know, having lots of those opportunities. But there's actually a, a, a silver lining potentially to having an event online that normally has been an in-person gala. Um, there's a number of silver linings potentially. Number one, maybe you always invited somebody to come to your gala and they just could never come. They're a professional, they're on the road all the time. They can never be in town at the same time that you wanted them to be there for the gala or it's a single mom. They were unable to attend because they couldn't arrange childcare. Well, now they can attend your gala for the first time because it's virtual. And uh, that could be a really great thing. You can also reach new audiences that would never come to your gala before, but they'd be willing to do an online thing for an hour. Uh, we're working with one of our clients right now. Normally their gala is for 50s and up is who usually attends their gala. It's like a black tie affair. We're saying, why don't you create content for that audience, but then let's like tweak it 40% and also create a, an experience that's marketed to 20 and 30 somethings. They are still interested in your organization. They never go to your gala, but how can we reuse some of the same elements and the same kinds of uh, the same platform and event to create an experience that they would relate to like, Concretely, like the host for the 50s and up is a 50s and up year old person. The host for the 20s and 30s is a 25 year old uh, person on the junior board. That's like a perfect way to just kind of by changing who's the speaking voice there, making it more engaging for a different audience. And your, your CEO can do a similar talk, but maybe you have a different angle to a story that you're making at different donors um, offer why they're um, already giving to your organization, you know, why they think you should be interested in it then too. So there's lots of bonuses that you can get out of doing a virtual event. Um, and the one that we've done and the ones that we're working on right now, how our clients are looking at it is they do not, they do not expect to raise the exact same dollar amount that they have in the past, but the expenses are dramatically lower than having to have a big sit down dinner and rent a hall and pay for a host and entertainment and everything else. So the one that we've done so far, they were actually very presently surprised that they got close to what they would have taken away from the in-person event through the virtual event um, because the expenses were so low um, and we are hopeful that the other ones that we do later this year will have the same thing. So virtual events are a big one of how your nonprofit can navigate itself through COVID. Um, we another big thing too that we're seeing is you can provide timely updates. Um, we recognize that nonprofits, uh, you know, sometimes they're not able to quickly generate crisis communications or quickly able to provide updates um, about what's happening or what they're doing. And um, a, a, you know, this could be a great opportunity for more of a cell phone type video. Set up your iPhone, 
a little bit of training, your CEO can start delivering little one or two minute updates every couple of weeks about what's happening with your organization, or maybe it's a programs person giving a quick update from, you know, where they're serving people or whatever it is, the organization you're involved in, but just don't be silent. This video is a great opportunity right now for you to reach out in different ways and communicate with people. Um, and people will be very forgiving of the production quality, especially if it's just holding up a camera. I mean, you see what's happening right now with all the protests and all the video footage coming out of that people want the authentic and the real and they're very willing to let whatever quality comes through with that as long as the emotion is there and some of the quality is fairly decent with some of the yeah. cell phones the, the cell phones have now it's just the operator trouble i am um, we have some favorite um movies that we connect with on britbox through uh our, our tv streaming and uh, i didn't remember what public what regular television looks like anymore but um, well, we just finished with Shetland, the film in Scotland, and the film work is exquisite, and it's just really, really fine. And then we looked at another one that had the kind of filming like uh, The Office did, with the cameras that move around and all zoom, 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 and swish across the room. Which, um, having a photography background, it was just it irritated, distracting to me. So you know, the, the technique of of putting together the film. Uh, I think having somebody like you to help us put together, there's, there's, a, there's a branding in how you do the video, um, what it looks like, what the colors are, you know, how the sound, how the sound is. So can you take, if you're doing an um, information video for a nonprofit, can you take the different videos from people from different events? I mean, is, there's, is there a threshold where there's some of it that's usable? And so do you encourage people to, to have a, a bank of video that they can use, draw from? Yes, there's two things to respond to that. Number one, the most important thing for video to make it watchable is audio. And uh, people are willing to give up a ton as far as video quality, but they're really unforgiving when there's really bad audio. And so um, if you're gonna invest in anything to create a higher production value for your smartphone camera usage, um, either one, number one, like record in a really quiet environment just on your phone. Number two, there's a couple of great microphones that just go right into your um, phone, whether that's, uh, you know, an iPhone or an Android phone or whatever. Um, Rode is a well-known um, um, microphone company. They've got a great one that's the most popular. It's like 80 bucks. And it's a lavalier microphone. It goes right into your cell phone. And it just sounds really, really good. It helps out with the audio, audio quality a ton to get professional sounding audio. R-O-A-D or R-O-D-E? R-O-D-E. Okay. Yeah. You can look on Amazon or, or something. I think that's the best selling one. Or B&H is another um, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, online place you can buy production equipment. So audio is really important. The second thing about having a video library, absolutely. Um, we are in the season right now of making lots of videos from existing video content from our clients because we're not, we haven't been filming for the past few months. Um, we do in a, in a normal year where um, we, we put on uh, 30, 40, 50,000 miles of travel. We're filming in Africa numerous times a year, India, Latin America, um, numerous trips and which have completely shut down. Like we're not traveling at all internationally right now. And so we're using a lot of existing assets from clients to recreate new videos. So we use the same B-roll as before, but then we record a new voiceover. We've recorded Zoom voiceovers now. So you have someone recording a voiceover in their house and we edit together a new, um, new 
B-roll from existing content to put together a new video for their fundraising campaign or whatever else. So what do you have there? Sennheiser, Audio-Technica, what are you speaking into? Uh, this is Audio-Technica. Yeah, okay. They're very good quality. Of course, you've got good, good original quality with your nice voice, but that makes a difference. I, I just got a new Mac and it didn't have USB for it, so I got one patch cord, so I'm having to speak into my video camera here, which isn't ideal, because I got my- Sounds my, good. My monster right here. Um, so that's, that's fascinating. Um, and if you could engage people by using their footage, um, there's a positive, even if you're compromising a little bit on the quality, I know there's certain thresholds or standards, but that's bound to have some enthusiasm when people say, oh, that's my footage that he included in their video. So there's that's a real, engage, that's an engagement tool, isn't it? It is, it is, it's really helpful. Um, so um, I was looking at the questions. I had uh, been some chats going on here. Um, we um, here's an example. I um, my first time I conducted here at the Lynchburg Symphony was Christmas, and we uh, I said let's do some videos. Um, and most of my you have the issue with music of of uh, rights, and um, most of the stuff we had was uh, original or public domain. So I had a lot of stuff that we record without worrying about rights and the other stuff we just archived, um, which you should pay a fee for anyway, but there's, there's all kind of music rights that people ignore. And there's, there's all kind of um, crawlers out there, bots that are, that are going and listening and, and Facebook will shut you down if you have copyrighted material that doesn't have permission. So advice for people when they're trying to do their own videos and put them up, how do you source the music so it's legal? Yeah, great question. There are some awesome resources that have come online in the past few years. Um, I'll name a few of them now that we use regularly. One of them is called the Music Bed or Music Bed, um, and just the word music and bed um, dot com, and it is a video music licensing website, and um, you you can choose from zillions of songs, all professionally made, many of them by artists who produce their own albums and you know these are different versions of those songs or different songs that they don't have on albums uh, many of them have an instrumental version as well as a version with lyrics um, singing on it and you choose um, when you go to license the track you then choose a number of um, options of the size of your if you're a for-profit or non-profit so you choose non-profit and then the size of your organization where you're going to actually display it and so those tracks usually come in between 100 to 250 depending on the size of your or if you're a big organization there'll be more than that but um that's a really great option that's one of the more the ones that we use that's one of the more higher priced ones they have great stuff but um, a little more expensive the next one down that we use all the time which is also fantastic is called um <clears throat> premium beat premiumbeat.com i think again professional musicians what's fun about that site that we love is that unlike anywhere else the musicians will release a track. You'll appreciate this, Hugh. So that's the full track, but then they create stems out of each instrument that's used in the creation of that track. So that when you are creating the video, there's so many times where you're like, oh, I just wish that that musical part just lasted a little bit longer, had four more measures of that piano part before the drums kick in. Well, now you can, because you, you have the piano stem that oh. you could then just edit that back in. Um, or you can just say, you know, this is a great track. I just, the drums or the whatever instrument, the 
saxophone just isn't working for me for this track, just pop it off and everything else is still there. So it's a really great resource to have lots of flexibility in the editing process. And then um, the one that is the, and those are almost all $49.99. So very economical uh, use and well worth the money and the flexibility that they provide you and highly searchable as well. The very last one is um, Audio Jungle. This is the one that's the cheapest. They're often like $10 or $15. Um, there are some gems on there. There's also some ones that aren't as good as quality as the other ones, but lots of different options on there to find uh, music. And this has really evolved in the past few years. Before that, it was a hugely arduous process of getting rights cleared and buying you know, CDs that had the sample tracks on them and trying to go through the licensing process. It was just really difficult, but now it's really quite straightforward and, and very cost effective. Hmm. Hmm. We um, used um, video in March with the Lynchburg Symphony. The venue offered us a live streaming option. And so we had to restrict them or people on stage and the kind of music. So we had some original music and some Mozart, you know, Mozart's long gone. So that was public domain. It's in the domain. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the hall would hold 800 and which we were failing before the COVID, but we couldn't, certainly couldn't do it. But we had, uh, I think 6,000 views that night and people are still looking at it. So we really, oh, that's great. Now that was a free offering and we had sponsors for that. But going forward, we're, we're going to be looking at, we're restricted in how many people can be in the theater, how many can be on stage, at least for the next phase of, of and all orchestras and choirs around the world are dealing with the same thing. So we're doing a hybrid of um, offering people a, a streaming seat. So per screen, they can buy a screen and people sit around home. And then the top donors, we're going to talk about how do we have dinner in a movie, have dinner in a concert. So I love we're, that work out with a local restaurant. So that's all in the makings and I'm speaking out of school, but that those are the kind of creative tools that we need to do. So it's really important that your, your original is good. And of course they have a multi-camera solution and somebody that's, that's ed editing that on, uh, what do you do? It's not editing, but you're, you're uh, live switching between live yeah. switching. Yeah, that's it. Boom. You know, my, my most fun opportunity was sitting in a, a news, the, the broadcast booth when my friend was doing the news and I could see how they were directing all the work that goes on with that. So there's a whole lot of work behind the scenes that you and your crew do to make it look, you know, 90 second video takes a whole lot of work to make it work right. So we're, we're talking about communications. We're talking about brand representation. We're talking about connecting with your audience. And so we're, we're coming down to one minute here. Is there, um, you talked about different links for different kinds of videos. Is there a frequency of new material that's important? We did find there's a strong correlation between frequency and audience size. The more frequently that you create content, especially on social media, the bigger your audience has will, will become. So as, if you have the opportunity and you're able to generate content cost effectively, frequently, um, that way I'd certainly recommend it. As far as, um, you know, again, going back to the framework of the different types of assets, your core video assets, you make those two or three videos once every two or three years. So the frequency there is not high. Social media videos, um, you know, we're seeing some nonprofits going from, uh, you know, 14, 15 videos a year, all the way up to five, 600 videos a year, depending upon the different organizations. It's really amazing how much they're posting video. Um, so 
it's what you can afford, but the more the better, especially on social. So um, when you make a high quality video, do you edit it for, for um, social media or do they size it down when you upload it? So that's a great question because uh, certainly your brand videos that we talked about those core brand videos should also be put them on your social media account for sure. They will not perform well in our experience and in our research. They will not perform nearly as well as a video created for social media will perform because it's just a different animal. It's not playing by the rules of social media, but it should be on there. And yes, they'll be able to, social media will be able to use whatever specs you give it, put it up there and it'll play fine. Um, and uh, you can also create, we'll often also, like I mentioned, if we have a seven minute video, we'll create a one minute version. Same thing for um, uh, you know, a, a brand film as well. We'll create a shortened version of it that could probably perform better on social media. Great. I'm gonna take a sponsor moment here, then come back to you if you wanna have a final, uh, Final word with people, what's a tip or a challenge or, you know, what do you want people to think about and do next? Let me, our, our sponsor today, as I said, was Word Sprint. Um, and they, we, we published nonprofit professional performance 360 magazine multiple times a year. And so you can get this in your mail. You can read it online. It's nonprofitperformance.org. It's printed by our, our sponsor, Word Sprint. But Word Sprint the big picture is they help you stay in touch with your tribe. So it's the, the mail that goes in their hands. It's, it's in their hand. It's the right message, the right rhythm to the right person. So it's really important. You just don't take the donations to say thank you. You take the donations and tell people what's going on with the money they spent. And so I think adding video to that mailing strategy um, that could be a really good overarching strategy. So thank you. This was really informative, made me rethink that I'm under utilizing videos. We do multiple videos a week, but it's this kind of thing on, on, um, on Zoom talking heads. It's really content-based. Uh, so this is the nonprofit exchange, the nonprofit exchange.org is where you can find this. And on that page, you'll find where you can get this at any, wherever you get podcasts. You can click on the link and you can download it to your smartphone and listen to this while you're driving. Just don't try to take notes but you can take notes right now. Doug, what do you want to leave us with? <laughs> yes, good, good advice. Uh, I will leave you with um, the fact that video will be a defining communications medium moving forward. I just hope that your nonprofit takes advantage of it. I really think that your nonprofit will see tremendous benefits from engaging in more video um, and uh, we all want to see your nonprofit thrive. Our world now more than ever needs to see nonprofits thrive. So I just hope that uh, video will be a part of your strategy and uh, we'd love to help if we can help. Absolutely. You can go to uh, the, 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 uh, the web page is on, on the page, but it's uh, T E C T O N I C dot video. Is that it? That's right. Not com. It's, uh, it's dot video. And, so and on the images you can click, it'll take you to, to Doug's very good website. So Doug, this has been very informative, very encouraging, and I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and do some other footage. And uh, thank you for, for sharing great, great thoughts today with our audience. Thank you so much, Hugh. My pleasure.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.